Hi everyone, welcome back to Bite Marks. I'm Emilio, pronounce he him, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Callum. Hello, I'm Callum, and my pronouns are also he him. And we're joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, say hello, everyone, to Jack Bennett from Oddbug Studio. Hello, I'm uh, Jack, I'm also he him, and I'm the producer game designer at Oddbug Studio. Yes, uh, if you guys have seen our best games of uh, 2021, uh, then you'll know uh, what Jack is here to talk about. It'll probably be in the title of the video. But Oddbug Studio made a game that is very near and dear to Callum and I, and that is, of course, Tales of Iron. Yeah. I'm, I'm here too. <laughs> let me weigh in for a second. Yes. Yeah. So we reached out to uh, Oddbug, and they were very gracious uh, to actually want to talk about the game. Uh, so we're here sitting down with, obviously, Jack. And uh, yeah, we hope that you guys will enjoy this interview and some behind the scenes, maybe, a little bit with uh, Oddbug. Although if, um, if game design doesn't work out, obviously Jack is a fantastic YouTuber name. <laughs> I, I really hate being called Jack because it's just such a common name. Like in my class at school, there was like three people all called Jack. So I normally go by my surname when I'm around my friends. <laughs> yeah, weirdly me too, but I've only ever met like two other Callums. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It's just, it's always that awkwardness of when somebody shouts Jack and then you turn around and like three people are like, yeah. I've never actually met another Emilio. Uh, I have. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I've oh. been cheating on you with a different Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the imminent dissolution of the channel uh, pending. Uh, why don't we actually just jump in with the interview? Um, so, Callum, why don't you go ahead? All right. Well, I I want to start this off with a bit of a um, not a silly one, but kind of a silly one. So, uh, just heads up in case we don't put a spoiler warning in. There's going to be some spoilers for this, and especially with this question. At the end of Tales of Iron, when you go into your father's room, there's a line that Doug Cockles says, which is uh, that it smells faintly of lilac and gooseberries. <laughs> uh, so including that, which is an obvious Witcher reference, uh, the Robin Hood reference with Robin the Ranger, and the Metro series reference with uh, uh, the Molshevik Republic, which is my favorite thing on Earth, by the way. Um <laughs> Are there any other references in the game that we might have missed? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few nods. Like, um, first of all, I want to say that the, the lilac line, that was actually Doug's idea when we was recording with me. I think the line was like there was a faint breeze that blew from behind, behind the bookcase. And he was like, oh, we could, we could add this in. So that was actually Doug Cockle <laughs> who did the narration of the voice of Geralt. That was his idea, so that was pretty cool. Um, but in terms of other references, yeah, there's... Um, one of the items you can find in the game is like a little lost teddy bear. Uh, and our first game was called The Lost Bear. So that was kind of like a little Easter egg for our first game because both the little characters that you take the teddy bear back to actually have similar resemblance to the two characters from The Lost Bear. Um, and also there's a little like hint towards Hollow Knight with one of the armor sets. Uh, and some of the other armor sets have got little like influences from The Witcher. Witcher games as well, so yeah, there's a, there's a few in there. That's awesome. It's like a, a quilt 
of all your different influences. <laughs> and also, like, so there's also like you talk about the Bolshevik Republic. There's like a sort of the puns of the the wrestler names as well. So that was quite fun to do. Mm, I think my favorite was Blocky Magoo. <laughs> that that was actually an inside joke. Like when we was making the, our first game, The Lost Bear, we had a, an audio designer called Jay, and we used to play Mario Kart with him a lot. And obviously, in Mario Kart, you hold the green shell behind you to uh, to, to like defend or block against red shells. So that that's where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so, so shall we get back to the more serious questions, Emilio? Okay, so I think this this is something that's hung over my head uh, when I was playing your game. Uh, by the way, I, pl- I played this whole game in basically two settings. So, uh, settings. Um, to what extent is Tales of Iron influenced by things like Red Wall and Mouse Guard? And, you know, there's like a small niche of medieval animal fantasy stories. And... I have to really wonder, like, to what extent is Tales of Iron in- inspired by those kinds of media? Because to, to my knowledge, there aren't, like, games and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like, what, what's, what's the story? As a kid, like, obviously, everybody's kind of aware of, like, Red Wall, mm. to some extent, like, Wind in the Willows. Uh, it's all that sort of concept of, like, anthropomorphized animals in a sort of society. So that was always an influence for us, but I wouldn't say they were like our biggest uh, influences. We, we liked that idea and that concept, but we wanted to take it more down a darker route, uh, more similar, like we were talking about to The Witcher. We like our games to almost feel like if Red Bull's the fairy tale, then we want to be like the Grimm's fairy tale, where there's a darker sort of undertone, it's a bit more grim and grimy, and the, the story's not always so nice and such a positive ending so yeah that i think I'd, I'd say they were an influence but not our biggest influence they just kind of gave us this idea like you say that there's people out there that like this sort of thing oh yeah because I, I think it's really interesting to use animals as a basis for telling a story because tales of iron is a very in a way mature story because it's kind of almost like a loss of innocence where you have at the beginning a setup of like almost a medieval kind of fairy tale, like you said, and then that like very quickly goes off the rails and it very quickly becomes uh, a much darker, a much more serious story. And it, there's a juxtaposition between the cutesy graphics and like the very visceral sort of impact of like animals just getting butchering each other, you know? Uh, yeah. I wonder, and, I wonder like... Also yeah. just the implications of certain things, like how you refill your uh, bug juice canteen by hacking at, at bug corpses, which means you're <laughs> drinking blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that, that, like you say, that juxtaposition is really nice because we get to tell stories where you're almost looking back at yourself or back at humanity because that removal of it being a human to an animal kind of gives you that space to play with. Like we talk about, or it kind of hints at the idea of looking at monarchy is monarchy such a good thing in the game we try and make it so that the monarchy is actually physically doing stuff for their people rather than just being this figurehead that the people work for so reggie is going out and saving his kingdom and rebuilding it we also kind of hint at with the Bolsheviks, they are much more advanced technologically 
but at the same time they're causing a lot of pollution that's kind of messing up the frog village and that sort of thing so it, it gave us that space to kind of reflect back at ourselves i guess one of the absolute best parts i think of the of the whole game just from a story perspective is actually going and finding the Bolshevik Republic. Yes. Because, like, not only is it not really expected, uh, but it totally subverts basically the entire world. You know, kind of like how Charlton Heston at the end of, you know, Planet of the Apes finds the Statue of Liberty and then he realizes, oh no, you know, this is the Earth. And it's like, oh yeah, actually, these rats are just like, you know, sort of killing each other in a monarchist kind of very backward society where like the king's children have to fight each other for the throne. And then the moles are like, oh, we have subways and electricity and guns and oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> there's like a lot hidden under the surface. And that was just for me, one of the best sort of moments in the entire story, because but, I realized yeah. it, it, there's more to this than, than what meets the eye. Yeah, exactly. That was like a, a really nice point for us because we kind of slowly hint at, at you first of all you get jay who you meet and you're like oh there's a mole and maybe you think that's just going to be like a one-off character he's not going to be coming from this whole civilization and then we kind of hint at you a little bit because you are in that metro area he's got a gun so there's a little hint of technology then he turns on his backpack and there's music playing that's very different to any music you've heard so far and then that whole quest is you turn on the power and you start to realize uh, there's a like you say that there's an extension to that world basically there's a completely different side to it and then obviously you go off you get on the tram and you go to mole town and you just see that the world's completely different uh, and for us that was a way of us just expanding that universe it makes the world feel so much deeper and fuller if you see completely different perspectives of it and that was the really nice thing of kind of removing reggie from like you say the the monarchy and from his kingdom and just showing off the world and what else can be there and obviously that opens up the world to be and what other possibilities are out there what else is in this world so i think it really helps to to world build that section and and one thing i i really love about this game is that uh with souls likes uh like tales of iron and hollow knight and everything it's it's so easy to fall into that sort of melancholy uh everything is terrible kind of vibe with music and stuff and tales of iron makes a a a really big effort to not feel as melancholy like there are it has its dark moments but there's like this undeniable charm about it and really funny moments and that's why the Bolshevik republic was such a turning point for me personally because when jerry says when jay says uh comrade i laughed for a good minute and a half straight (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that that, again that just comes down to the world building like we we want to reflect back on society but it still needs to be realistic in quotes in air quotes for that world so that just felt like almost the the right way to go with it Uh, and like you say yeah we like to juxtapose that like dark room world with the cutesy art style and like again just helps to make the impactful moments way more impactful if you're going from this high of being in the nice violin filled music of the village after you've rebuilt it down to this sort of cyberpunky sort of underground it has um, russian techno it's so good (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, so yeah and again just 
seeing people's reaction to that just makes us so much more excited for where else that that world could go. Was that always the plan, or was this something that kind of like developed as you were working on it? Like, just uh, maybe guide us a little bit through the development process. Did you sit down and plot everything out, or did you uh, like start working on like say the village and then you know added piece by piece? Um, so we obviously, first of all, the first thing is all of the main characters, the rats. They are based on the game director Dan's pet rats. So they were all real characters. So that was kind of our starting point. Is like oh. we had these characters that we knew we wanted to create. Uh, and then we knew we wanted to make an RPG. Our favorite RPG is The Witcher. So we knew we wanted to make something that was like that sort of medieval fairy tale. But we didn't just want to make another medieval fairy tale fantasy mm. RPG. Because that's there. So we wanted to kind of put our own spin on it. Um, and then Jay, uh, I spoke about the mole, is actually based on... Uh, one of our friends, Jay, who was, is an audio designer who we worked with on Lost Bear. So that character kind of made sense for him to be all about music and having this sort of completely different approach to it. Uh, and then we obviously we knew that we was going to do this big boss battle with Jay because we wanted to show off that he's got this blaster and he's just blowing bugs away. Uh, and that kind of put us in this space of almost like Hotline Miami, which really <laughs> very weird connection. <laughs> that's why that music started coming into it and then that music kind of built up this world of like well we could go to that down this route with jay so it all kind of just snowballed as we started developing the characters well i can't wait for hot rat miami but um <laughs> uh, i do want to ask uh, going slightly off topic um and just because I remember earlier, Emilio said, like, the, the children of the king are all fighting for the throne, except two of them aren't. And I need to ask you about this. Why are <laughs> Chef and uh, Smith not vying for the crown? So, in we, we haven't actually, like, explicitly said it in the game, but there is... So, like, it, you can see in the throne room, there's that picture of, like, King Rattus, and there's only got Reggie and Dennis on it. And that's because Bam Bam and Rem Rem, the Smith and the Chef, are actually um, not full brothers, should I say. They are King Rattus's, uh conquests outside of the Queen Rat. So, um, Okay, wait, <laughs> hang on. No, wait, you can't just say things like that. We need to go deeper. What were their names again? Their names were Bam Bam and... Rem Rem. Okay. <laughs> no more questions. They're, they're twins. <laughs> You've won the interview. No more questions. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're Ill illegitimate children, so they can't take the throne. That's why. Uh... That is you know what, like, I, wild. That's, again, you know, one of the amazing things about this game is that, like, you can always just look, and there's always more, like, you can always just go deeper with the story. I would, I never expected that, because Callum and I were talking about this you know, beforehand, I was like, oh yeah, okay, well, it kind of makes sense that maybe only a few children, you know, would get into the, you know, the business of fighting, and maybe the other two were like, no, but did you just drop this bombshell that they're like illegitimate children, so they can't technically compete? It's like, whoa! And we were, we were like, so, we were like, this is such a progressive society, King Radis is letting his kids just like abdicate the throne so they can follow their passions, and it's like, no, they're bastards. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, so like, again, that's like, that, that 
craziness of like monarchy that we try and highlight it's not always uh, a good thing well actually while we're on tangents and things uh um you know who's the um herald again the guy who gives you the the quest at first the really small one i forget his name doug yeah is, is doug a rat or is doug a mouse He's a rat. They're all rats. They're all rats in that in the kingdom. Okay, because there's a lot of um, different body types between the rats that I, I found quite interesting. Because Doug is probably the smallest rat I've seen in the game. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the run of the litter. Yeah. Actually, related to that, was there a specific reason why you chose to make Reggie this tiny little guy, uh, especially in comparison to like his brother Dennis? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, in terms of the real rats, Reggie wasn't the biggest rat. But in terms of story and game, it just makes for a better hero's arc. You know, if if he's not the character that is clearly the hero, everything he does is so much bigger and more heroic. So it was just a nice story mechanic for him to not be the biggest, but achieving the biggest things. Yeah. I think one of one of the biggest like feels moment is right at the beginning of the game, uh, where uh, you are just like getting ready for the tournament, and then you know uh, I think Doug drops a line about how like Reggie doesn't like eat regular food because his, his brothers uh, just like eat all the other foods so he was always left with the scraps, and I've never felt more sorry for a protagonist in a video game. <laughs> you know, that moment. That's still that thing of making it believable, you know, like rats will, will, will fight over food and that sort of thing. So it's uh, it's kind of like giving that reality to this fantasy world. Yeah, that moment hit me particularly hard because I, I have a dog named Reggie who, like, and he was sitting next to me while I was playing that point and it's like, uh, oh, Reggie doesn't get to eat all of, Reggie doesn't get to eat all of the food. And I looked at my <laughs> dog and he's just like staring at me and I thought, I'm going to kill everyone in this kingdom except for Reggie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We, we, we needed to put you firmly in Reggie's shoes and uh, I think making him feel that sort of like downtrodden guy or not so downtrodden, but um, not the biggest, not the strongest kind of allows everyone to see him as like almost like an everyman. Yeah, mm. You know, it is kind of interesting that you mentioned that because Reggie is, as a monarch, incredibly proactive because like he does everything you know he's kind of responsible for like and you, you know I, I think there's a point it's like oh yeah later on he would figure out taxation but right now he has to do quests to get money to like you know pay things and yeah. that's a very clever way of making the protagonist feel like oh i actually have to do stuff this kingdom is kind of like maybe falling apart a little bit yeah um I also, yeah, it, I do just want to say that it's it's very in line with a lot of fantasy stories where you become the king at the end, that I don't think Reggie's going to know what to do with politics. Well, I, this is what I was saying to you, like, I, I did kind of want to make a bit of a statement about monarchy, like, the monarchies that, unfortunately, we live under at the moment, it's like, you pay a lot of money and don't get a lot in return as a as a... A peasant of the realm, shall I say? So um, I wanted Reggie to be the sort of monarchy I wanted to see, not necessarily going out and killing people, but proactively, physically doing things for his kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, like, I want to see Prince Philip in the streets with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, like, I do. I, I feel like uh, there's a lot that could be said about what could be done better, rather than uh, 
peasants paying upwards all the time. It is it is kind of interesting to me that the frog invasion, just from sort of a military perspective, is they kind of show up, smash the village. They don't really take the castle, even though I think they maybe could have. They just kind of wreck, come in, wreck stuff, and then kind of run away. Uh, and that kind of forces you to go after them. But it doesn't really seem like their entire perspective. They don't want to kind of do a genocide. Uh, at least that's the way that it's kind of presented. They do want to eat like a bunch of rats, but I don't know, like, what is the deal with that exactly? So something that is very subtle in the in the game is like, um, you go to Moletown, you see all this technology, you go to the frog village, and in the background you see all these pipes, it's incredibly toxic, you need a gas mask to be able to travel through the frog village. So we were kind of hinting that connection between uh, all of this technology creating these bad gases that are then being funneled out into Frog Village. So it, without them knowing about each other, Mole Town is kind of destroying Frog Village, which is causing the frogs to have to go out and hunt because they can't grow food, they can't make food anymore. That's why you see in the background a lot of like farmers looking sad and miserable trying to like work these fields in Frog Village. So their whole thing is like they're coming out to raid and take whatever they can to try and, similar to what Reggie's doing, rebuild and, and improve their village. Whoa, yeah. and um, <laughs> I remember that Jay at one point says, like, uh, he's so upset that mole technology is being used like this. Yeah. In, in regards to the... So they just don't understand at all that they're causing this problem. Exactly. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> you guys are really masters of environmental storytelling, because... <laughs> It's very subtle, but once you mention it, like everything just sort of like the entire game just actually kind of clicks into place because really, it's it's not really the frog people's fault per se. And the other thing is like you, we only get the perspective of the rats really. You know, we don't know necessarily if the war that kind of pre-starts the game that you know happens in the background if that was entirely their fault or not. Yeah. And you know, because of King Rattus's morally questionable experiments by the end of the game i really was very skeptical of you know the rat kingdom and what they had done you know because it felt like oh yeah they're actually maybe not the most they're not entirely the victims you know it's uh, yeah. the, it's that's exactly what we sorry sorry no <laughs> that's exactly what we wanted we wanted that sort of you're doing it and thinking you're doing the right thing because like we say we built reggie up to be this sort of not like the everyman and you feel like you're doing the right thing and you're rebuilding your kingdom but the overarching story of the world are the rats good for that world is the sort of the question i guess yeah it's one of those moments where you get a complete picture at the end but it ends up being harder to like decipher like yeah. it, it, the situation is over but it's messier now because you're you're starting to see oh yeah everyone's not great Exactly, yeah. So, like, Reggie returns the kingdom basically back to its, like, status quo with, like, the rats being back on top and him having his big red castle and everything's great. But in the grand scheme of things, is that great for the world as a whole? Oh, speaking of the world. <laughs> no, no, no. Speaking of the world, um, in the Bloody Whiskers DLC... We, we have to fight a, a tournament to prove our worth again. And one yeah. of the people that you have to fight is a rabbit warrior. 
and we don't yeah. get to see anything about the the rabbit society or anything. So can you tell us a bit about that? And uh, are there any other animal societies living in this world? Um, I have to be very careful about what I say here. <laughs> oh. So <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, so there are other animal societies. Uh, the world is much larger than what we've shown, obviously, uh, and. Reggie's story is just one story of multiple stories told in that world throughout time. Oh, so, oh, good. <laughs> so I think I don't know if that answers your questions cryptically. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We get it. You, you kind of have to keep a little bit mum. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a testament to your capacity, really. That at the end of the game, I, I want more from that world. Uh, when I finished Tales of Iron, I had a lot of questions about, like, different things. Like, why are the rats sentient, but not the bugs? You know, like, are there, are there like, sentient bugs? You know, what's the deal with the, uh, the discovery of the bowl people? You know, I had lots of questions that I wanted to know more about. But on the other hand, I feel like the story in and of itself is very... It ends in a way that, you, that is satisfying, but it leaves you wanting more, if that makes sense. And I think that's very hard to do, uh, mm. especially with a ga game of this sort of scope uh because you know souls likes i wouldn't say they have a tendency to end in a way that is very satisfying <laughs> uh it's more about the journey you know but here i think the the story actually ends in a nice way yeah i think that is one of the unique things about tales of iron is like um it has a very linear story like you start somewhere and there's an ending where most souls likes don't have that sort of detailed story you know like dark souls or hollow knight sword and sanctuary it's more about the combat and exploring the world and not so much about this story of characters so i think that is something that is unique to tales of iron uh, and in the way that we build our worlds that just automatically creates these stories if we feed you a little bit of it then that instantly gives you more questions about the world and that's something we like and like i say there's hundreds of stories in this world of tales of iron that we could potentially tell and will we see all of them? <laughs> I, I don't know if I've got enough time in my life to make a hundred stories. So. <laughs> I mean, that's why we invented children, my man. <laughs> I know, yeah, I guess I could train up an army of children to uh, start developing games for me. You know, you could always get a squire and like a bloodline apprenticeship, you know, to, to tell the ancient tale. Uh, I... It, you know, it's really curious. Um, I do want to bring this back a little bit to gameplay, though. So, my, so in from your perspective, uh, which is the best and worst boss in the game? Because from 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 my experience, the boss that I struggled with the most was the giant beetle in the sewer. For some reason, I died to that boss way more times than any of the other bosses in the game, even the final one. Uh, <laughs> and the one that I enjoyed the most is probably. Hmm, it's probably the fight uh, in the uh, at the end of the in the mobile Coliseum. I thought that was one of the better, more engaging boss fights. Uh, but what about you, for as a designer? You know, what do you think? Uh, um, that? I think that there's different ones I like for different reasons. Like I like Blocky Magoo purely <laughs> because he changes so much. He goes from like this shield bearer where, and again, that tells a story. Like he starts off as just using his shield because he doesn't see you as a threat really he thinks mm -hmm. he can play with you 
you break that shield down and then eventually he starts becoming this he was based around a version of like kratos from god of war that's why he has those sort of like yeah. long long swords on rope so then he starts becoming this sort of maniac of a of a frog jumping around throwing swords so i'd say he's a very fun boss to fight but he can be quite difficult depending on how you approach him um i really like ratner rodinson as well just because he's almost completely different he kind of brings almost a magical element with like the thunder coming out of his uh, hammer and from the ceiling and that sort of thing so he's quite wait. fun wait where do you fight him in the crypts oh my gosh i missed something <laughs> and also yeah, he's, he's, is that he's a got a version of like Mjolnir he can like cast thunder and stuff yeah, also that's um, that's totally a Vikings reference right yeah 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 Callum uh, one of the secret bosses in the game is basically an undead Viking rat and well, if I... you kill him you get a you get like a Thor's like hammer which I think is one of the best one-handed melee weapons in the whole game well I just yeah. I, I I fought the um Centurion after yeah. collecting all the statues and i did the arena fight and i i only have like a couple of things left like i still have to beat the um the final bits of the mole arena and stuff and then find that guy and then go and beat the game on hardest difficulty but i didn't know that it was a, a vikings reference with thor's hammer my guy <laughs> yeah and then and then uh the centurion guy is called ratus augustale as well which is like a reference to sort of uh ancient ancient rome with augustus oh yeah so, <laughs> the, the pettiest of uh, the caesars <laughs> exactly but again th that's just a small little nugget of information we can give you to highlight oh this this dynasty of rats has been going a long time <laughs> yeah also uh i think uh the viking rat also kind of hints at like the northern king northern rat kingdoms because yeah. they show up in the dlc and uh i was like oh yeah because when i played it i was like oh wait a minute of course you know there has to be like a viking kind of because these guys are more like uh you know medieval england uh yeah. france to some extent and then oh yeah of course they're, they're you know they're gonna be vikings uh i was half expecting to see like a samurai rat because there's a katana in it but that maybe that'll be in the sequel <laughs> again that's just a, another little nugget of information that allows us to go off down these different little alleyways so yeah there's definitely other key like you like you say in the dlc you meet ava and arlo who are from the northern kingdom so you are they're definitely definitely other other kingdoms of rats wow um speaking of the katana and and thor's hammer and and so on uh, i wanted to ask when you were designing the weapons and the armor did you like reach out to experts or was this kind of an in-house research sort of deal it was all in-house like uh, for our weapons and, and armor it was, it was more about the visuals that was something we really wanted to push was like you can dress reggie to look how you want him to look and it also be viable in a gameplay sense because like the thing i always hate in games is like i've got this really good new weapon but i really hate the way it looks so, oh yeah definitely. Armor, and i don't want to switch out my armor because i want it to look like this so our solution to that was to just give you so many weapons and armor that there was definitely going to be something you liked and was viable for your situation in the game and uh, because I'm a hack, I want to piggyback off of um, Amelia's last question. What's your favorite weapon and armor set? <laughs> um, 
I do really like uh, the, the the final. It's got like the red cape and it's got like a, a metal chest plate. I really like that one. Um, I do also really like the Ro- the Roman one that you get from Augusta. It's like got the the centurion helmet. Uh, in terms of weapons, I always go with a hammer. So either Mjolnir, so from uh, from the Thunderboss, or I do have, there's like a Smith's Hammer that you get as well that's pretty cool. Uh, I always go with a bow or a gun. Bows are just super fast, so normally yeah. a bow. Uh, and then shield, I'll go as light as possible, but with as much defense as I can get. It's kind of funny, because Calum and I kind of have the opposite builds, because I will stack on as much armor as I can and just go with like a two-handed sword or a katana yeah. or something. And Callum will, you know, generally wear light armor and... Uh, uh, I, the... I I fight with the, the sword and shield mostly. Exactly. That, well, that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted you to be able to play how you want, if that makes sense. Like, if you want to play as a ranger with a bow and light armor and dart around, or if you want to go in as a tank with a two-handed axe and take as many hits as you can, then that's completely up to you, and they're both liable for different situations. Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm waiting for you guys to drop a magic build, <laughs> which well, I, I, I mean, presume will just be like explosives. It depends if magic exists in this world. In that sense, you know. Um, I guess that's to, uh, to see. <laughs> yeah, I, another like I mentioned earlier, there was another turning point for me where I started like telling people about this game, uh, rather than just playing it for my own amusement, and it was. When I found out that you could put a beanie, like a... Yeah, it's called a beanie in America, right? Yeah, yeah, the little red hat. <laughs> yeah, because we, we have a lot of American viewers, so I have to make sure they understand. A beanie and, like, a fisherman's jersey on Reggie. <laughs> and, like, when I saw yeah. that, I was like, okay, no, this is the best game I've played in a long time. <laughs> I have to tell people about this. Well, exactly, and that, that comes back to you dressing how you want to dress you feeling like reggie is your character you know so we wanted everyone to have something that they liked so that was just a fun little hipster rat moment yeah i was just about to say (laughs) Uh, one of the one of the things that i actually really like about what you've done uh is that in a way there's a lot of the customization options kind of remind me of like monster hunter i especially love how you know you could kill like one of the big like insect bosses or something and get like armor that looked like it was physically made out of the you know, out of the pieces of that creature. And I thought like, oh yeah, that's like a monster hunter thing. And then I started thinking, oh wait, <laughs> is this this game kind of remind, you know, you're a little guy fighting big, you know, big bugs. Hmm. I, with a lot of like different weapons and they all play kind of differently. I, I was wondering about that, you know, cause like uh, you couldn't, you, you didn't have to do it, but you did. Yeah, I mean, definitely like one, we're big fans of Monster Hunter. We love Monster Hunter, so that's good but at the same time it comes back to that that world building sort of thing like like you say when you, you carve the bugs and then you're drinking the bug juice it, it, in a weird way it makes sense like it is a commodity in the world that they're using made from a creature in the world so it only made sense for armors that you're wearing to be made from the creatures you're killing so uh, that was just kind of a thing that gave logic to the world Mm, I especially like that feature because bugs end up being one of the most prominent enemies that you fight and it lets you sort of replenish yourself after a long and tough fight but while while we're talking about general enemies and while we're still within spitting distance of the what are your favorite X things about the game 
I want. I'm curious. What is your favorite general enemy design? Like just a common enemy that you have to fight, uh, gameplay wise or looks wise. Um. Well, the first thing that jumped to my mind was a moment I like is when you you, you beat Lance a lot and then you get the bow. Uh, and you get that flying mozzie enemy come in, and then as soon as you hit the bow, it just smashes it out of the air. I think that's quite a nice rewarding moment that you have, is like, I do like shooting the flying enemies out of the air and then being able to smash them on the floor. So that was quite a fun moment, an enemy I like to follow. I like also the big level three bug that throws the rock at you. Just because he's so much harder than any of the other bugs, when you see him, he does give you that sense of fear. Like, oh, this is going to be a bit of a tough, tough battle. Yeah. In terms, of, in terms of frogs, though, I like. He he is kind of you. You do start to fight him more commonly. Is he, he, but he starts off as like a mini boss, like blocker blocker. He's the level. He's got a shield and he's got an axe. I do quite like him because you can come at him lots of different ways. Like you can come at him with the two handed and break his shield down. Or you can stay away from him, wait for him to run at you and shoot him. Or you can just wait for that yellow and parry him. So he's quite a fun one to fight. And then just for the hilarity of it, I do like the jetpack frogs as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, I quite like the uh, the bug who has the shield for a, yeah. a head. That, that was very interesting. And also the lizards. Because that was, that yeah. was a very like horror movie monster kind of deal, where yeah, the yeah, we have no idea what these are, and they are crazy fast and really strong. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So I would say that they're very unlike any other enemy. They're almost like they've come from a different region. So hmm. Ooh. for me, uh, <laughs> I really, uh, I really like the undead enemies. I know they only appear basically in a very small part of the game, uh, but I actually really like their design because, uh, you know, I feel like more more fantasy, like animal fantasy, needs to include necromancy. <laughs> and when I saw them, I'm like, oh yeah, these guys have actually really thought this out, you know, because they they've thought out what an undead rat would look like, and uh, yeah. The, those are those are actually my uh, favorite enemies. They're really rewarding as well because, like, you break them down as yeah. you as you attack them, they start to like lose their legs or lose their arms. So yeah, they start... and then their attack yeah. patterns change. That's yeah. I, I love it when enemies are reactive to the player's uh, sort of attention. You know, when if you are attacking them and they're losing limbs or something and they're forced to change, that's actually really fun. And you yeah. don't often see that in these kinds of games. You know, usually in you know, a Souls like. Uh, you'll have the enemy and they'll have like a fixed attack pattern and then you'll have bosses and they'll have phases but usually the baseline enemies don't really change all that much no a, a fun thing about them as well is like so, so uh, we noticed it after the game came out but it really sounds like they're saying reggie when they attack you like they're like reggie, reggie which is very strange but francesco the audio designer didn't mean for that at all. He was just making weird noises. <laughs> it actually really sounds like they're saying Reggie, which is actually a genius move, and we should have thought of that anyway. <laughs> Happy accidents. No. Well, yeah, because yeah, there's like that, there's a terrible implication because you know if the undead are really sort of a product of the machinations of the king, then 
you know, maybe the undead recognized Reggie as the king's son. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's like a foreshadowing that the king has been involved in these terrible experiments. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a very happy accident. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's weird that the game is ultimately a story about Reggie fighting and defeating the frogs. And, you know, on the surface level, it's really just a very basic fantasy story of the hero confronting the evil, avenging his father, all that stuff. Uh, but really, I feel like by the end of the story, I don't really feel like being a king is a reward. I kind of feel like it's almost a burden because now I know all of these things. I know my dad was, you know, maybe a corrupt guy. I have had to do some terrible things. I've lost some friends along the way. Like, you know, do you think that's, do you think that's where the story needs to go? Or, you know, how would you adjust it if you had a choice? I think that is where it should go. Like, like I was saying earlier on, like, we didn't want it to just be almost like everything, like a standard fairy tale and everything magical ever after, because that's never the way it goes. <laughs> when there's a war, it's never just like everything's perfect afterwards. Yeah, somebody wins and somebody loses, but there's still consequences that go on years after that. So I think it needed to end, to be a realistic scenario, it needed to end in a situation where, yes, Reggie has done the right thing for him and his people, but it has left the world in a position that's not great. Because, I mean, just theorizing here, like the moles were kind of, destroying the environment to build this situation maybe that's going to become an issue between moles and rats who knows like there's lots of like situations now where in the future that could become an issue well i do sorry sorry, uh i do want to say like at the end of the game uh it's doug cockle with his beautiful voice says a very interesting line where uh apparently moles and rats are going to start working together and sharing yeah. technology and stuff. And Emilio and I actually theorized briefly that that might push, like, the Rat Kingdom into almost a pre-Renaissance flintlock pistol kind of era. Can you tell us about, like, w- would that be possible? Would if, if there is a sequel, would it be in sort of the same-ish world, or would the world change drastically? Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, make sure guess, you credit us. I guess it depends uh, how far in the future you would go. You know, like, uh, like I say, uh, eventually there would become if both civilizations became dependent on some sort of fuel source, there would inevitably be issues. I'd imagine. So, uh, yeah, I guess in the future there could be situations that are not. Not great, but at the moment, the moles and the rats are friends. I guess the I guess the thing that really hangs over everything is that in real life, when you have two civilizations who are so different, you know, because mole people are a almost in a way a modern society, you know, with modern social structures and things like that, and the rat people, the rat kingdom, are a medieval society with a very different social system. Invariably, when those two civilizations come into contact with each other, there's a huge paradigm shift. And usually it's the less developed, you know, less uh, robust society that kind of crumbles. And I kind of have to wonder if, you know, uh, the conflict between the moles and the rats 
is largely destined to happen because eventually Reggie, you know, he's a rat, he'll not live for very long. Maybe someone else has to take him up and that person might not be as, you know, uh, on friendly terms with the moles, but, you know, it's, a, it's an open question. Um, and also, there's, you have to consider the fact that uh, basically what happened to Reggie's kingdom is what he did to the frog kingdom. So that could inspire someone from there to, to rise up in a similar way. Exactly. I, I'd also put in there that most great civilizations self-implode as well. So it's not to say the moles are safe. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting that we have this society that also has this blood arena fighting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of the major contradictions, I think, that is inherent to the mole society, where, yeah, sure, they have all this technology, but what do they do with it? They have Roman-era... Roman style, actually, the moles wear like almost Roman kind of gladiator, gladiator armor, and they fight each other in a in a, in a pit. <laughs> yeah. So clearly, that's not exactly a sign of a healthy society. Um, again, that's a reflection back on ourselves. Like, yeah, we we have this amazing society, but we still do have like major blood sports and yeah. fights. I mean, sort of MMA. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I wanted to ask, um, this is an entirely separate thing. So how exactly did you guys get Doug? Like, was it always, was, did you always like decide, okay, we're going to have Doug Cockle do the narration or did you, was it something that just like happened coincidentally? You know, like, uh, I think it was with Wayne June on Darkest Dungeon. He wasn't originally meant to be the entire narrator for the game. He just did some lines and then it kind of went from there. Cause he's very good at it. I think he, he does an amazing job as a narrator. Yeah. I mean. I keep saying, like, working with Doug was a career highlight. Like, working with the voice of Geralt, it, he's, he's, he's just great. Like, he's such a nice guy as well. Like, working with him is, is so much fun that, it, yeah, it was perfect. But um, in terms of him being the narrator, when we first thought, like, we should probably have it, we want this to feel like a fairy tale, we should probably have a narrator. Um, we don't want to explicitly say to people in blocks of text like this is happening and reggie's doing this because of this so we wanted that narrator to kind of like smooth over those cracks and just explain in broader detail and, and give it that fairy tale feel uh, and so when we was talking about like ah oh, who could we get like what sort of voice do we want we we was like we would love to have the voice of Geralt, like that sort of tone that sort of charming it's almost charming but at the same time quite distancing it's dark it's gritty it's deep and that kind of fit this sort of grim dark world that we created so we was like oh we'd really like that but he's 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 Geralt he's never going to want to work with like a fire man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I didn't think that was a possibility so we uh we said to the to the publisher United label like oh we'd really like Doug Cockle to do the voice and he was like no worries leave it with us they showed him some artwork they showed him the build and he loved it so that he was like on board from then yeah, he's 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 loving it. He loves Tales of Iron, so that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that's, I, I, that's brilliant. Yeah, I think <laughs> you guys you guys actually nailed the presentation, right? Because uh, I think in a lot of ways there would have been a temptation to like have maybe Doug Cockle like voice the character because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you've got the Witcher, you've got to have him. But no, I think he's perfectly suited for the role as a narrator. And I also love the fact that you don't actually have like. The rats talking you have them you know talking in pictograms i feel like it gives them each a a kind of a charm that contrasts very nicely against like the grim dark kind of thing you know that you're going for yeah um, it, it fits into the aesthetic of the world very well because it's it feels almost like a pop-up fairy tale book 
Yeah, exactly. Like the main reasoning behind that is like we didn't want text everywhere because like no matter what language you speak your reading ability nobody really enjoys a big old block of text to read through when they want to be like fighting or exploring the world or meeting new characters so we wanted to try and remove that as much as possible uh, so obviously that lent itself especially with our art style and how good our artists are dan and, and martin that we wanted to go down like explaining it through these diagrams and again that fed into that sort of fairy fairy tale fairy book sort of imagery that we wanted to create uh, and it also it almost becomes a bit of a puzzle and it leaves those sort of gaps for the player to kind of ask those questions like when king ratas is talking about like the tournament it gives players the sort of understanding of the world but it gives them those questions like why am i doing this who why why does my brother want to fight me you know it gives you that sort of those holes in the in in the story for the player to really play around it yeah you know it's Speaking of, of of Dennis, I think Dennis is one of the more curious characters in the game, because uh, I I this might just be me, but I kind of get the vibe that Dennis is is kind of being set up in a way for being an evil character, because he just keeps getting shown up at like every opportunity by his brother, and I don't get the sense that Reggie is being malicious when he does it. You know, I just kind of feel like Dennis is almost like he puffed himself up as this great warrior guy, but he fails at basically everything he sets up to do, and I feel like that would nurture resentment in him you know and I, the fact that you beat him in the tournament in the dlc is just like the just like even more you know i was kind of just expecting him to attack reggie at the end there you know it's like i hate you you know you've taken my entire life kind of deal but I, maybe that's just my interpretation i disagree <laughs> <laughs> i think dennis went through an incredible arc in the background because he was like a drunk when the kingdom yeah. um uh fell and you can see him drinking in the background. And then when Reggie starts to work and the fort's rebuilt a bit, you can see him flicking a coin. So it's almost like he's saying, like, oh, he's doing good work. He's he's helping bring pros prosperity. And you, you save his life more times than often. And he goes on you with quests. So I, I think then, he's, he's going to become a very protective older brother figure. But then why uh, did he uh, challenge you in the DLC? Well, to prove that you're... Oh. Sorry, we're, I, we're talking over the person who made this game. Sorry. I, I, I was going to say, I like that you picked up on on him drinking in the background, because, yes, he does He does kind of get an addiction problem. Like, he starts, like you say, he starts off as this sort of the glory child, you know? He's going to become the... To him, he's already going to be king. There's no question about him losing the tournament. He knows he's going to be king. So uh, the fact that he then tries to go off and save the village when he's there and he, he fails at that. He loses to Reggie. He loses to Reggie multiple times. He does start to question himself. And obviously that leads to this drinking. I would say um, the coin bit that you pick up, though, is, well, from our point of view, it was a bit more like Two-Face from Batman. He's oh, kind of flicking makes... between... Uh, yeah. He's flicking between these two ideas and concepts of where he is as a, as a rat. So I guess... Uh, that's more to be seen. It's, you know, I think it's, again, a testament to the quality of the game, that we can have two different interpretations of the same character, and both those interpretations have, you know, a lot of evidence for them. Uh, exactly. That's, that's what I was saying with, like, the pictograms telling the story, is, like, it allows both of you there to kind of 
understand his character at the core, but it still has this story that you've built up around him as well. Yeah. Which is what I really like because that just gets you invested in the world and the character so much more. However, now uh, I'm I'm starting to think that he might be like a, a Rolo figure. <laughs> well, that would be uh that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Mm. Reggie and Rolo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually really good from a narrative perspective that the first real fight that you get into the game is against your brother and it has this like a lot of narrative weight you're fighting for the throne and no one expects you to win but because this is a game and because you know it's kind of the tutorial fight in a way uh like the first proper fight you will win and that is actually a great way to sort of show the player the actual stakes you know like this world is bigger than you you realize uh, you're going to do a lot more because in a, a lot of other stories fighting someone like dennis would be at the end of the story you know but here it's right at the beginning I think also that the way you say that you connect that to it, like it's being a game, so you're going to win. I I liked that because it felt almost like it was destiny. Do you know what I mean? It because you you know you're in the tutorial, you know that you're going to win this fight for the game to advance. It makes it feel like it was Reggie's destiny to become king. Yeah, and he doesn't know that, but you do. He doesn't know yeah. that he's in a game. <laughs> um, exactly. But it felt it felt nice as like mechanically for the player to understand that which is cool i have a, a slightly grim question i want to ask about red Wart. yeah uh you at one at the end of the crypts you have to fight red Wart, who is the first frog chieftain he's like presumably he's related to green Wart in some way and yeah. presumably also he is someone who uh maybe King Rattus fought, although it seems like he was before King Rattus's time. Yeah. Uh, did he become a zombie just because of, like, radiation from all of the pipes, or was he an experiment? So, first things I would say is, like, it's not necessarily the frogs didn't, and the rats didn't always hate each other. I mean, why are there frogs buried in the crypts in the first place so i wouldn't say that the, the the conflict has always been forever but there was a conflict that started that has gone on for a long time so that's my first like little hint there but i would say that he is a, a product of rats's uh what extracurricular activities should i say Ooh. <laughs> necromancy <laughs> It is kind of unusual, I think, the way that Tales of Iron uses technology as almost a stand-in for magic, uh, in yeah. a way. Because a lot of the more fantastical elements are not really, per se, magical. Even like the frog, Shaman, I kind of get the vibe that he's more of like an alchemist who's doing science that kind of looks like magic. You know, yeah. at least it would look like magic to Reggie, you know, who's a medieval, you know, knight. Uh, but maybe from, you know, uh, the mole's perspective, oh, he's just doing technology, you know? Yeah. I, I really like how technology is actually the stand-in for magic, but there's still enough, like, sort of wiggle room that you could say, is it magic? Yeah. It, well, exactly. That's, that is the feeling we wanted, like, is it magic, is it not? From, from our perspective, going back to what I was saying about uh, the moles and the frogs not really knowing about each other, but the moles kind of doing the frogs over with the gas and... The, the, the frogs are basically using the scraps of the mole world to create their world. So, like, the jetpacks, for example, 
like you say, feel like magic, but they're actually made from all the scrap metal and the gases that the moles are chucking out into Frog Village. The, uh, the the different weapons and that are all kind of like carved from bits of metal that they found around. So yeah, it's like... Um... Yeah, like in one way, the frogs yeah. are simultaneously less and more advanced than the Rack yeah. Kingdom. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's this fantastic juxt... Almost like, you know, I would describe the frogs as like a Mad Max kind of warrior tribe you know yeah. uh not only with their aesthetics because they do use a lot of like junk but like also from the vibe that i guess like oh yeah they were wandering the wasteland kind of you know they'll fight anyone to survive yeah uh, and yeah that's, that's great because you have like three entirely separate aesthetics you've got mole people who live in a modern society with like modern technology you've got a medieval rat kingdom with castles and knights and you've got like a warrior wasteland kind of vibe going on with the frogs. And it's all very different, and yet it all works so well in the context of a game. In another game, you know, these these might contrast with each other and actually bring everything down. But here it actually just works so well. Because you, you, you let the player fill in everything that they need to. But not everything, you know, gets explained. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And that was the great thing about it. It just makes the world feel so much more vivid. It's not all medieval rats it, that 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 contrast between all of them makes the world feel so much more alive and like i was saying it it, it makes you question what else there is <laughs> yeah it's just like the real world you know mm. uh, yeah, exactly. it's, it, it's not that there was one single template for uh what a society should look like and uh you know all these different societies coming together but that does actually you know kind of I think i this is my last like serious question but like when it came to the design of this game did you guys start with did you do more did you start like with gameplay and then you uh, aesthetics or did you start with aesthetics then gameplay or was it kind of like a mix it was definitely a mix like we like i said we were basing it on dan's pet rats so we knew we wanted rats we knew we wanted it to be medieval sort of fantasy so that kind of was the the roots of the aesthetics and we knew we wanted to make hardcore combat souls like but like say monster hunter ish almost like god of war so i mean that's where the the colored indicators come from was god of war so we wanted to kind of mix those two together so it was like we had these two starting points and it was just gelling them together nicely so i'd say it was it was a combination of the two different elements coming together well that's that's really interesting because uh there is a lot of cohesion but there's also a lot of dissonance and uh, I think they work really well together because there are some elements that do feel like a very classic dungeon crawler, and there are some elements that feel like a very different kind of game. If if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, like that was the thing. We one of our aims was to make a more approachable Souls-like experience. Like, I like Souls-likes. I like the challenge of learning a boss. I like the challenge of um, of, of equipping myself in the correct way. Uh, but I don't like the sort of, I've died and now I've got 10 minutes to get back to the boss to die again and that, that repetitive loop. So that was something we tried to, to remove. And also, like, I don't know if you noticed, but we com in our combat we completely removed the stamina bar. Um, most souls likes have a stamina bar and that's how they regulate how much damage you can do and how much attacks you can do. But for us, it just felt like we were... Uh, removing you away from the combat you weren't focused on what the enemy was doing and reacting to that appropriately you was just watching the stamina bar in the top left corner and making sure that 
you could roll or that you could block and parry. So we kind of wanted to remove that and have the focus on you understanding your enemy, learning their pattern and reacting appropriately because that just got you so much more involved in, in the combat that you're taking part in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we are just about coming up on an hour now. So I, if it's all right with you, Emilio, I think I'm going to ask that the final question. The oh, yeah, question. Hit it. <laughs> okay, I believe you've already answered this, but we have to ask. Are there plans for a sequel or future DLC? <laughs> okay, so I have to be very careful in what I say. So all I can say at this moment is, like I said, we've, there's hints all over the show about Expanded World. Uh, there's Grey Ears or White Whisker. There's Avar of the North. There's all these different characters in that. Uh, we have signed a contract to work with United Label again, but I can't say what that's for or what we're doing or whatever. So I will uh, I will leave that with you. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, wait. I have one last question here. Uh, are you hiring? <laughs> At the moment, unfortunately, no, because we're in such an early stage of, like, development of our next project that it's just, like us coming up with the concept of what we're doing basically uh but at some point in the future it would be nice to uh expand the team at the minute we're, we're literally like five guys and and, and an audio designer that and two um, rats <laughs> and a group of rats well this has been lovely thank you so much for being on the show awesome thank you it's been a lot of fun it's uh been nice going over the law I, I haven't done that in a while so that was that was a lot of fun yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of this game. I think uh, we will definitely be looking. I'll definitely be looking forward to whatever game you guys you know release in 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 the future because I think uh, you're a great development studio. And honestly, I feel like we need more games like this that are not necessarily afraid to take a formula and tweak it in a lot of ways. Because I do like how it's more more of a casual game. You know, I beat this game in like two two days. And I could never do that with a in two days. I would still be grinding, you know, a couple of levels in Dark Souls. Yeah. Uh, so this was a lot of fun uh, to play, and I'm I'm very glad that you decided to do this uh, this interview. I learned a lot, actually. Yeah, I, I think uh, to just piggyback off that again, I think there's a misconception that people have with with things like storytelling and game design and things where. Uh, originality is something that has to come absolutely out of nowhere. It has to be a brand new concept that no one's ever seen before. But real originality is being able to take an idea and change it enough that it's completely brand new. There is no one part of Tales of Iron that feels like it's never existed before, but it's done in such a way and knitted together in such a way that it feels like a brand new, charming experience. And I, I'm... I'm with Emilio, I'm quite excited to see what you guys do next. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, the whole games industry is just iterating on top of itself. Like, nobody is going to have a completely unique idea. It's just taking what other people have done, influencing yourself, inspiring yourself with other great artists' work, and making something that you're proud of. Yeah. Well... Uh I mean, that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for watching out there. Uh, you can follow Oddbug Studio on Twitter, at Oddbug Studio, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we will link uh, a, a link to the Tales of Iron Steam page. Uh, so you should definitely buy the game. 
uh, audience, if you're interested in anything that we've talked about here. <laughs> yeah, awesome. if, if you like uh, our stuff, then feel free to subscribe to our channel, check out the Patreon, follow us on Twitter, all of that uh, rigmarole. Uh, Jack, is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with as a parting thought? No, I mean, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad you've got so many nice words to say about Tales of Iron. Uh, and we're always happy on Twitter to hear people talking about Tales of Iron or asking questions. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, great. Uh, viewers, if you like more, if you want more adventure stories, subscribe to our role-playing podcast, uh, Hardly Heroic, where, you know, uh, Callum and I will do... Uh, D&D style adventures with people who are morally uh, gray and, uh, and uh, not exactly quite heroic. Yeah, uh, and thank you so much for watching again. Uh, have a ratastic year. Oh, you were gonna drop that one on us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, bye. bye, everyone. Bye.